I want to say a couple of things before I get started. I want to remind you that one week from today, we begin our gospel meeting. Brother Russ Bowman is going to be here next week, Sunday through Thursday, and we will have our regular one-service format next week, which means we're going to hear a lot of Russ. We're going to hear Russ three times in uh, the regular first uh, assembly, and then during our Bible class, he'll be teaching, and then uh, during this part of our worship, he'll be teaching then as well. So I want to get everybody ready. If you have not cleared your calendar for that and not planning to be here, well, now you know you can clear your calendar and be ready to be here uh, next week. Brother Russ is coming. He has been here before. He will do a great job for us next week, and it will be worth your time uh, to be here. There is also a a meal list to feed him that's in the back that's posted. Uh, So if you get a chance when you uh, head out of the auditorium, just feel free to sign your name onto that uh, so that you can feed him. Uh, But looking forward to that, and I wanted to make sure that you're planning for that as well. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. Paul likens the Christian life to a battle. Tells us we need to be prepared. We need to put on armor. And he goes through the armor piece by piece. He talks about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And I just have to confess to you, I have a really hard time making sense of this passage. Ever since the time that I was a young boy and through the time when I began to preach, I have just, I've known about the armor of God and I've known the words here and I've heard countless sermons detailing all the pieces of armor. And what a Roman soldier would have been outfitted in and all the different functions of the different pieces of armor. But frankly, and I don't say this to criticize anyone, I just say it as a matter of truth. Frankly, I've often left more informed about Roman soldiers' armor than about what I was supposed to do. And I've always had this problem where when I left this text and I was told, put on the armor of God, I just have, and this may be the way my mind works, I just have this sense of, Okay, but what am I supposed to do? What does this mean that I need to do or change in my life? And as I studied this, uh, Jacob Robinson and I were studying through Ephesians. And as we were, he, we came upon this text, and I told him of my struggles with it. And I told him, you know, for a long time I've been planning to preach just so that I can get some sense out of this passage. And I told him, I committed to him, I'll do that. So, I would just ask your patience, even if you fully understand this passage, that you'll humor me and humor Jacob this morning as we try to make sense of the armor of God. That's our goal this morning, making sense of the armor of God. I will say this, when I was a younger preacher and I tried to talk about this passage, I came to the conclusion at that time that all of the armor of God circulated or revolved around studying the Bible more. And I had some circuitous logic to get there. So the belt of truth, well, where is the truth found? The Word of God. Sword of the Spirit, Word of God. The breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, where does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see what I was doing? You know, we just get over and over again. So is Paul just having a Just a a whole bunch of images to say, study your Bible more. That was the conclusion I came to. I think there's more to it than that. And so I want to talk for a few minutes about that. Let's look at verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, the text says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It's a finally passage. It is the end 
of the letter. And Paul is really summing up a lot of what he's talked about in Ephesians. And I'll just give you the rough outline of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, in one sentence, is that God has done some amazing things for us in saving us in Jesus Christ. And so now we need to walk worthy of the calling that he's called us with. And that really is the sum total of Ephesians. Everything else just kind of fits into one of those categories. But as Paul describes the walking worthy of the calling with which we are called, he talks about a battle. There is a battle. He talks about how the days are evil. He talks about how there are winds of doctrine blowing. He talks about that when we are angry and we don't resolve it, we give place to the devil. He talks about the danger of us resurrecting the old man who we used to be and going back into the things that we used to do and the ways we used to think. And so there is a battle that goes on even though we have been saved, even though we are right with God and we are in a new relationship, there is still a battle. And so here he talks about that battle and who is behind it. Look in verse 11 with me, Ephesians 6 and verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So the devil is the one who is behind it, he says in verse 11. And in verse 11, he says he has schemes or strategies that he employs against us. We're talking about a battle plan that he comes against us with. He will later say he is shooting flaming arrows at us, trying to attack us in places where we might be vulnerable. And he clarifies in verse 12, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That is to say, we're not fighting people. It is not a physical war, but instead we are fighting spiritual forces. And sometimes the people that they employ to trip us up or to attack us. However, this is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual one. And when he talks about these things in verse 12, the authorities and cosmic powers and the rulers and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, the, the sum total of that, in my view, is that we need to understand we're fighting a battle for which we are poorly equipped on our own. And we are fighting a battle in which we are outgunned. These are forces beyond us. So to fight that battle alone... Or in fact, to not fight is the same as losing. So he is saying we need to be equipped from a different source than ourselves. So in verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That's the good news. We're not alone in the fight. God has supplied us with what we need. We can now engage the enemy and be victorious because of what God gives us. We have the Lord's strength. We have God's armor. So these are tools then that God has given us so that we can engage with Satan and we can effectively defeat him or push him back. It's possible that Paul, as he goes through this armor, is drawing on a couple of images from the book of Isaiah. I want to put those on the board for you. Uh, this is Isaiah 52 and verse 7 where it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says his eye on your God reigns. So the idea of beautiful feet, of one who preaches the gospel, we're going to shod our feet in a minute with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
This is Isaiah 59 and verse 17. You'll see this even more dramatically. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Paul is probably borrowing this image. You, you can see breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation we're going to talk about in just a moment. Paul is probably borrowing this image, but he is using it in a very different way. This is describing God as God figuratively puts on armor, but God is going out to judge. And so he is going to bring vengeance with him. That's not what Paul is talking about. It's not our job to judge and bring vengeance. And that's not why we have the armor of God. So we're borrowing the image, but Paul is going to use it in a different way. One more thing before we jump into the armor itself. When Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, he is in Roman custody. And it is very likely that he is literally chained to a Roman soldier. This is Acts 28 and verse 16. When he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Paul has a Roman soldier right in front of him. And it seems very natural to me for him to write about what he sees this man wearing. As I was thinking about this, it, it reminded me so vividly of how dramatic and visceral it is when you see up close a, a soldier or even a policeman in full uniform. I remember when I was in Mexico, uh, we go into a bank or sometimes at a checkpoint and you have these guys and they have these machine guns ready to go. And I know that there are machine guns in the world, but I don't see them face to face very often. And when I, It's scary. When you see a soldier in full battle gear, when you see a policeman decked out with all the, the different accoutrements that he'll have, what it makes you think is, wow, that guy is going to be in some dangerous situations. He's going to need things because he is going into dangerous places and he's got a battle he's got to prepare for. I think that's what happens with Paul. Paul, looking at this soldier, when you look at that giant shield and you say, man, why would you need one of those? What are you going to do with that sword? You begin to think, wow, he has a frightening responsibility. And then Paul is going to take that and say, you know what? So do we. We have a battle in which we engage. And there are things that are just as dangerous just in different ways that we have to deal with. So, let's read the text, beginning in verse 13. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says specifically in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God, the whole armor. Because each piece matters as it's going to protect us. And if we are lacking something as we go into the battle, we have a vulnerability that will be exposed. I asked Taryn to lead the soldiers of Christ arise. 
And one of the things that is so powerful to me is the verse that says, leave no unguarded place. See, when we're in the battle, we don't want to be exposed. And so when Paul writes about the armor of God, he is trying to tell us these are the places Satan will take aim. And you need to be prepared for his aim. So I want to talk about that for the next few minutes. I want to talk about this, and I believe the best way to picture this is in terms of battlegrounds. That what he is saying is prepare yourself for how and where Satan is going to attack you. And the first place that is a battleground in this text is words and teaching. Satan is going to attack us through things said to us and things we say. This is an area where we must be prepared and we must have armor. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, the text says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. God has given us truth to equip us to fight Satan in the realm of words and teaching. You know what's true, so now you can know what's a lie. Go with me back a page or two to Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by, in, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So he talks about the need we have for teachers to equip us and help us grow because he says this specifically in verse 14, every wind of doctrine is blowing. There is human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Satan is working through words and teaching to lead us away from the Savior who bought us. Satan is at work, and this is how he works. So the response, he says in verse 15, is to speak the truth in love. Truth is what combats error and lies in words and teaching. What is taught? What is taught contributes or detracts from our standing in front of Satan. The growth of each Christian... The church as a whole is dependent on words and teaching. We need to know that what we believe and what we say is true. We need to take up or take up or put on the belt of truth. Back to the page, uh, back, turn the page back to Ephesians 6 and verse, verse 17. Ephesians 6 and verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You see, the only way we can combat attacks with words and teaching is by other words and other teaching. And here he says, you take the word of God, it will be a weapon for you. The sword is the offensive weapon. While the rest of this armor is going to be about holding ground and repelling attacks, the sword is an offense weapon where we are pushing Satan back and telling Satan and others who are serving Satan what God has said in words and teaching, the truth and we're going to push into their territory. 
This is 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see what's happening here. He is saying this is the battleground. The battleground has to do with destroying arguments and opinions and thoughts, taking every thought captive, words and teaching that are addressed by God's truth and God's word. So, what are we talking about practically? This is the Jacob question. So what does this mean I'm supposed to do? Well, to begin with, I think it's important for us to remember that Satan is the father of lies. This has always been his M.O. From the very beginning, in the garden, Satan has been a liar. Lies matter because lies affect behavior. Lies enslave us while truth sets free. Lies deceive us. Lies give us false comfort where there is no comfort. But truth clarifies and truth gives insight and wisdom. So what I need to know is Satan is going to try to get me to believe lies. Lies about God. Lies about myself and who I am. Lies about my world. Lies about the origin of life. Lies about other people and who they are and what they want. Over and over again, he will bombard me with lies. And the only way I can know their lies is if I listen to God about what's true. So, this is a battleground for me. If I don't pursue the truth God has given me, I will be defeated. So I need to know the truth about God and about myself and about my purpose and my past and my future. I need to be listening to God and His truth on a regular basis if I'm going to put on the belt of truth and take up the sword of the Spirit. I need to hear from God. I don't just need to hear about God. I don't just need to hear what other people think about God. I need to hear from God. He is the source of truth. His word is the sword of the Spirit. This is where the battleground is going to be fought, and there is only one way to defeat the lies of Satan. Tell the truth, then, is my next obligation. If I hear the truth from God, I speak the truth. I become an honest person. I'm going to tell the truth as I understand it. I'm not going to be ashamed of the truth. I'm not going to mute the truth because it might hurt someone's feelings. The truth is who I am and what I do. That is what I have learned from God. God is a God of truth. I will be a person of truth. But words and teaching, this is going to be an area where Satan attacks me. And if I'm not prepared, I will be defeated. The second battleground is morality. Look in verse 14. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate was the key armor across the chest protecting the vital organs. So what is the breastplate of righteousness? Righteousness has a lot of different meanings in different places in the New Testament. I have come to believe that righteousness here, as he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, has to do with my commitment to living a righteous life that I am going to be a righteous person. Now, to begin with, I am only righteous because God has made me righteous in Christ. 
And that's a whole other lesson that we could talk about, but it is to say, I'm not righteous on my own. I could not be. However, because of what God has given me in Christ, my goal now is to preserve the righteousness of Christ. So we have a statement like this in James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their infliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I've been cleansed and made unstained because I had gotten myself stained. But now God has cleansed me, and now my job is to keep myself unstained, to maintain that, to guard it. And so I have a commitment to righteousness. That is, I will preserve what God has given me. Turn back the page to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. I believe this is the usage that Paul has here in Ephesians 4. He talks about, in verse 17, the way of the Gentiles and the things the Gentiles do. And he says in verse 20, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness, he says, is what the new man is about. He is different. God has made him different. And if we are going to be what God calls us to be, we must have a pursuit of righteousness personally. And I believe that's what he is saying in Ephesians. When he talks about putting away lying and instead speaking truth with our neighbor. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him work with his hands what's good. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but what's good for necessary edification that we put away malice and evil speaking and instead we forgive one another, that we don't let sexual immorality be named among us, but those things are part of who we were. And now as Christians, we walk after a new standard. We are a new man. We're born again. We're new people in Christ. So don't let the old ways creep back in. Stay righteous. So what he is saying then is take up the breastplate of righteousness, which I believe to be that commitment to a new standard and new morality that I am going to live in the way God calls me to live. And Satan will be aiming at my morality. Particularly, he will be working to convince me to go back to who I used to be. He will be trying to convince me that the things I left behind were really the better things that the people who lived that way were really happier than I am now. Satan is going to attack my morality. And he has schemes or plans to lead me to change my behavior. So am I committed to living a righteous life? Am I willing to pass the test that says I will not go back even when I want to, to who I used to be? So what that means practically for me is that when I'm tempted to compromise my morality, I need to see those things for what they really are. I need to remember what it cost and what it took to take me out of my sin before, the sacrifice of Jesus. And I also need to remember how awful it was for me to live in sin and the frustrations of, of being enslaved to something, to being swallowed up in it. I need to remember that I have made promises and commitments when I came to Christ. 
And especially, it seems to me that Satan uses words and teaching to influence us to compromise our morality. To start to think a little bit differently about it. To talk us into the fact that maybe it's not as bad as it sounds like it is. This has always been the way Satan works. He uses words to influence behavior. So that when finally the temptation presents itself, the intellect has been weakened and the commitment is not what it once was. Satan says, it's not as bad as you think it is. So what God has given us is a new righteousness that it is our duty to preserve. He has given us a breastplate of righteousness. And I I think I say it this way, and I think this is the way that is most helpful for me. What that's going to mean is that I make decisions in the moment when I am tempted that are going to take the long view rather than the short-term impulse satisfaction. I want to be a man of integrity more than I want the respect or pleasure or money that comes from lying. I want a strong marriage more than I want whatever brief thrill might come with being with some other person. I want the peace that I have found in the pleasure of God more than I want the discontent and frustration and shame that comes from trying to please other people or even trying to do what makes me pleased. Those kinds of decisions are difficult Because they say, no, I'm going to forgo this right now because I know something better is waiting when I forgo it. I will preserve my righteousness. And I believe that is what Paul means. That God has given me righteousness and I will need it in the battle. Because Satan is coming for my morality. The third battleground in this text, I'm going to call spiritual awareness. Spiritual awareness. Look in verse uh, Ephesians 6 now. Ephesians 6 and verse 15. Ephesians 6 and 15 says, As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is an odd little phrase. Your version might say something a little different, like preparation of the gospel of peace, which kind of sounds like we are preparing the gospel. I think it's the other way around. Roman soldiers wore sandals. Josephus mentions that they were thickly studded with sharp nails to give solid traction and to be able to brace against something. So we're not talking about those $2 flip-flops you buy at Old Navy. Okay, we're talking about something that's a little sturdier and ready to go into battle, ready to hold the line. So as I read this, I believe that what Paul is getting at could best be described in terms of spiritual awareness, that there is a preparation that the gospel gives to us that we are ready for the fight. We are not caught off guard. We are not surprised. We know what is coming, and the gospel teaches us what is coming. So we equip ourselves with the gospel's information about the battle. Look back in verse 12 with me. Ephesians 6 and verse 12, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
So we are wrestling. We are in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. And I am not sure we think about this very often, and I think that's the problem. We believe that we just live our lives from day to day. Some things happen. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. We try to make ends meet. We try to make good decisions. And we do not see that what really is going on when the veil is lifted is that Satan and all his minions are at work fighting us as we cling to God. There is a preparation that that demands. Now, Paul engaged this on a different front. It's a little easier to see with somebody like Paul, right? Paul is on the front lines. He's going into towns, and they're running him out of town. They're picking up stones and throwing them at him. They're plotting to get him arrested. It's easy to see how Paul is in a battle that's really about God and Satan. Paul's on the front lines of that with the gospel. But what Paul is saying is that we are all fighting. Satan is coming after all of us. We are not fighting people. How likely are there to be survivors when people wander onto the battlefield unprepared? Unarmed, unaware there's a battle. This is the danger Paul is describing. So what does this mean practically? You talk about spiritual awareness. The battle isn't over because Jesus died for me. The battle will come to me. The battle is coming to me. It has come to me yesterday. It will come to me today. And it will come to me tomorrow. Spiritual awareness means that I can see through the facades and know what's really going on. That I am not fighting flesh and blood, but Satan. Let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean by that is, people are going to be different. Some people will be a certain way and others will be another way. But I can hear Satan and his voice. I can hear the way he tempts me and attacks me. I can hear the way he reasons. I can hear the way he challenges me. I know the voice of Satan and that sometimes Satan is using people. So while those people I may have a difference with, behind it is the bigger problem, that Satan is at work. And if I can understand that Satan is working to take me down, it will change the narrative in my life. Things don't just happen, but instead I see that Satan is trying to work against me. I must be prepared for how Satan will work. And that, I believe, is what he means by having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. And the final battleground is the connection to God. Connection to God. Several of the pieces of the armor focus on how we are connected to God. Look at Ephesians 6 and verse 16. Ephesians 6, 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Roman shields were impressively large and they could be linked together to make a wall with other shields. And so the primary purpose Paul has for the shield here is to protect us from flaming arrows, attacks that are coming that we wouldn't have any other protection for. And this not only stops the arrows, but it says specifically in verse 16, they extinguish or quench them. That has some interesting applications, doesn't it? Some interesting thoughts that if we're talking about arrows that are a fire. And all the shields are linked together. 
that my inability to handle temptation can then spread to others. Shield of faith can quench those darts. My faith is my connection to God. My faith is how I say, I trust, I believe that there is more in this battle than just me. I believe that there is more to what is going on than what I see. Or as Joseph says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He sees that the battle that's going on, he needs God's help in. Verse 17, it says, take the helmet of salvation. Salvation is the gift God has given us and I think here the assurance of his protection and deliverance from sin that we are in relationship with God and that we have assurance or confidence as a result of that. We know we are right with God and we need to know we are right with God as we go into a battle with God's enemy. And then verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I think we're still in the battle terminology here because he talks about being alert in prayer. But we've dropped the armor. Prayer is not an armor piece. He just says, keep praying. And prayer is about connection to God. How we ask God for his help in moments of desperate need. It's not just fellow soldiers That would have fit with his armor of God imagery, but that's not what Paul says. He does not say, in the battle, all you need are your fellow soldiers. He says, in the battle, all you need is the help of God. I want to remind you that Satan always attacks our connection with God. He asks questions like, did God really say that? You know why God said that? God knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll be like him. See, God's just in this for himself. Attacking the connection with God. He says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. God will save you. Over and over again to say, do you really trust God? How can you trust God? And always in that, have you noticed that Satan has the implication that I know the truth about God. I got the real dirt on God. You are naive. But let me tell you, I mean, seriously, you think you can trust God? And he attacks our connection. So if we're going to battle Satan, and we are, then we have to strengthen that connection to God. The word here that I would emphasize is the word confidence. That we be confident in things even though we haven't seen them. We trust and embrace the word of God and the promises of God and the facts of God. I trust God. So I take up the shield of faith. That trust says, I know God wants what's best for me. I know God has given me everything I need. I trust him. And with that kind of confidence, I extinguish the flaming arrows of Satan. I need confidence that he loves me, that he has saved me, that he is pleased with me, that his approval of me and my relationship with him is not based on the moment but it is based on his willingness to save me despite my sin. I need to know that. And then I need to talk to God about the things that are percolating in my mind, things that I'm hearing, words and teaching, things that I'm thinking about doing, 
that would compromise morality. The things that are going on and how they play into the larger narrative of a spiritual battle. And how sometimes I don't feel connected to God. I need to be talking to Him about all of it. As I begin my day, I need to begin my day reaffirming and reestablishing my relationship with God. Because my relationship with Him will be tested that day. I need that confidence in the battle. Because Satan is going to attack. I appreciate your patience. I don't know if any of that helps you at all. But it helps me, and I hope it helps Jacob, to make sense of the armor of God. That there are battlegrounds that Satan will be attacking. He'll attack with words and teaching. He'll attack our morality. He'll attack our spiritual awareness. He will attack our connection with God. Here's the good news. As strong as Satan is, as wily and cunning as he is, we have armor to defeat him. We have a God who is stronger than Satan. We have an ally. And we can do it. We can defeat Satan. It is such a thrill. I know you have seen this. I have seen it in my life. And I am blessed because of my work as a preacher. I get to see this in the lives of others. It is such a thrill to see victory over sin and death. It is such a thrill to see when God's people grow and get stronger and put behind them things that have plagued them for a long time. It is such a thrill to see God's people learn to forgive. It is such a thrill to see God's people overcome sexual sin. It is such a thrill to see God's people be stronger after the battle. That is awesome. And I want to assure you, just because we're fighting Satan, just because we're outgunned, doesn't mean that the battle is over. Because we have a God on our side, and the battle is the Lord's. Would you pray with me about that? Oh God, our Father, we thank you so much for this time you've granted us to look into your word, to be reminded of the great warfare that is going on between you and Satan and of our place in it and how by declaring our allegiance to you, Father, we make ourselves targets for him. Father, we ask for your strength and your wisdom. We ask that you'll help us to be alert to the battle that is going on. We ask that you'll give us discernment and wisdom to see and to hear the attacks of Satan, even though they may not be overt and they may come through other people. I pray that you'll give us strength to resist him. Give us courage. Give us faith. Because sometimes, Father, we forget about you. and We lose sight of what's important. And we're tempted to give in. Father, I pray that you'll help us when we fall. That you'll love us and forgive us. That you'll help us to be restored and to come back to that right relationship with you and to fight another day. I pray that you'll help us as brothers and sisters that we can strengthen and encourage one another in times of weakness and celebrate together in times of strength. We thank you so much, Father, for the gift you've given us of salvation, of righteousness, of forgiveness through your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. There might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation. We take this time and we offer an invitation for anybody who wants to make a change in their lives, to make this congregation aware of something that we need to know about and pray with you about. Or if you're ready to become a Christian, 
and to give your life to Jesus, be buried with him in baptism, and have your sins washed away. If there's any need that you have, please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.